In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation. And as always, it's great to be with all of you. I'm your host, Father Ed Broom, Oblate of the Virgin Mary. Great to be with all of you. And as always, we like to start off our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many wonderful titles, among which would be Mary is the mother of God. Mary is the mother of the church. Mary is also the mother of each and every one of us. And when we pray that beautiful prayer at the end of the rosary, the Hail Holy Queen, we also invoke Mary. Mary is our life our sweetness, and our hope. So this beautiful feast day that we celebrate today, today we celebrate the solemnity of the Corpus Christi. Let's invite Mary to be with us, to pray for us, to pray with us, to help us to fall in love with the Eucharistic Lord. So together, Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and bless the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. Now at the hour of our death, amen. Now we'd like to invite our spiritual director to be with us. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. And like Mary, the Holy Spirit has many, many wonderful titles. Among which would be, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Holy Spirit is known as the gift of gifts. The Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of the soul. He's also our consoler. He's our consoler and he's also our counselor. And the Holy Spirit is also our interior master. And that means, in the words of St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, he says, we really don't know how to pray as we ought. But the good news is this, the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans these ineffable groans so that we can say, we can say, Abba, Abba Padre. We can pray and say, Abba Padre. We can say and pray, Abba Padre. So let's beg the Holy Spirit 
for the grace to enlighten our minds and to set our hearts on fire with divine love. Set our hearts on fire with this divine love. As we pray the classical prayer to the Holy Spirit, and that prayer is, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, Pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I repeat, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. My friends, this is a day of great rejoicing. Number one is because it's Sunday. And every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But even more so is because we celebrate the solemnity of Corpus Christi. Just a little liturgical summary. A couple of weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost, which is the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Mary and the Apostles in prayer. That's considered the birthday of the church. So, from that, we celebrated the Blessed Trinity last week. And now we celebrate Corpus Christi. 
So now more than ever, I encourage you because I'll be placing you on the altar, placing you on only altar in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Of course, there's no greater prayer in the whole world than the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It is the prayer par excellence. The greatest of all prayers. So I'd like to place you all and your intentions on the altar of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass that I'll be celebrating at 10 o'clock this morning. I'd like to place you on the altar. And I'd like to offer the following intentions. The first intention will be, I'd like to pray in a special way pray in a special way for all of us that we would be open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we can pray this prayer. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come to the heart of Mary. That's right. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come to the heart of Mary. My next intention will be I'd like to pray for our families, for the conversion of our families, the sanctification of our families, and the salvation of our families. That's right, praying for the conversion of our families, the sanctification of our families, and the salvation of our families. My next intention, as always, let's pray, my friends, for those who will be dying within the next 24 hours. My friends, Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul in the process? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul in the process? Pray for those who are dying today, especially those who are not well prepared, that they would open their hearts to the infinite love and mercy of God. That they would beg for mercy God is slow to anger and rich in mercy as the psalm teaches us so that they indeed will be saved. Let's pray for ourselves that we also would have a holy and a happy death. My friends, I'd like to ask for another intention. This day, 
I'll be starting a new program. And I did this program about two years ago in the very heart of the pandemic. So in the Church of St. Peter Chanel at 1.30 today, I'll be starting another program of consecration to Mary. But this program will be a little bit different than the other program that I had. But the other program is by means of meditating upon the mysteries of the rosary and the seven stars of Mary, we, we arrive at a consecration of Mary. This consecration program is based on the message of Our Lady of Fatima and the three children, Jacinta, Francisca, and Lucia. The purpose is to try to save the world by means of the salvation of the family. Sister Lucia says that in the end, the the big battle will be for the sake of the family. So this program has as its purpose to try to unite all the families in this way. We'll be giving a, a talk on the message of Fatima every Sunday for the next five weeks. Then we'll be giving material to meditate upon. Then at home, the family will be encouraged to do the following. The parents are called to be the first catechist of the children. That's God's design. The mother and the father, once once you get married, you promise to have children and to educate the children in the, in the faith. So the family will come together for a few minutes and they'll be reading through our writings. But their parents will be praying first, reading, and then stopping to comment upon it. So prayer, reading, commentary. Then reading, commentary, which the parents and the children intervene, and they're going to be talking about God. You know, the families have been isolated during the past three years. And especially because of modern electronics, families no no longer come together to talk together. My purpose is to try to bring the families together so they'll be able to start to communicate with each other. And on a higher level, in which you're going to be talking about spiritual things. So after... After 
the readings and the message of Fatima, then the family will pray the rosary together, pray the Fatima prayers, and sing a marrying hymn. So the whole thrust of this is to try to fortify the families. So today at 1.30, we'll be launching our new program, the Fatima. The, Fat, the Fatima Family Program. And tomorrow at 7 o'clock, we'll be doing that in Spanish. We'll be giving it in two different languages, as is my custom. So I'd like to invite all of you, if you could pray for that intention. Pray for that intention. So my friends, today we move into the wonderful feast day that we celebrate today. The feast that we celebrate today, my friends, is that of Corpus Christi. As mentioned earlier, two weeks ago the church celebrated Pentecost, which is the close of the Easter season, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Mary and the Apostles. And last week, we celebrated the great solemnity of the greatest mystery of our Catholic faith. And that was the solemnity of the Blessed Trinity, which we believe in one God and we believe in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the following Sunday, today we celebrate the feast day of Corpus Christi. Then next Friday we celebrate another solemnity. So after Pentecost, it's Blessed Trinity, Corpus Christi, and then the following Friday, the following Friday is the the most sacred heart of Jesus. The most sacred heart of Jesus. Now I would say, if anyone asks you, what about the month of June? Say that the month of June, we don't, pri we don't celebrate Pride Month, but rather, the month of June, we celebrate the most sacred heart of Jesus, the whole month. That's what we have to say. We should be lifting up the banner of the most sacred heart of Jesus the whole month of June. Let's have a proper devotion and focus on the month of June. 
So my friends, today we celebrate the feast day of Corpus Christi, which is the Latin for the body of Christ. Corpus Christi. The feast day was instituted by Pope Urban IV. in the 1200s. And with this feast, St. Thomas Aquinas wrote what is called the what is called the off, two offices or writings on the solemnity of Corpus Christi. There's really so much that can be said about this great feast day. But in essence, the church is proclaiming with great joy and faith our belief in the real presence of Jesus Christ, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, present in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Our belief that Jesus Christ, in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, is truly and substantially present in the consecrated host. That means, my friends, that in every Mass, whether the priest is with a thousand people or he's just surrounded by two altar servants, When the priest takes the bread, blesses the bread, and says the words of consecration over the bread, take and eat, this is my body, do this in memory of me, then when he takes the chalice, filled with wine. And he says, take and drink. This is my blood. Do this in memory of me. In that moment, my friends, we have the great miracle. The bread and wine are both consecrated and the bread and wine are transformed. They're transformed into the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In time, (coughs) through the workings and teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas,
The theologians have composed a somewhat of a technical word. And that word, my friends, is transubstantiation. That's a big word. Transubstantiation. Now, what transubstantiation means, and St. Thomas Aquinas used the teachings of the philosopher Aristotle, he basically is teaching this, that of the words of consecration, the bread and wine is truly transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Transubstantiation means that even the the appearance the appearances of the bread and wine called the accidents appear to be same appear to be the same. Looks like bread. It smells like bread. It tastes like bread. It breaks like bread. It consumes like bread. But it is not. But it is not. It is truly, it is truly and substantially, it is truly and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Even though our senses seem to indicate it's only bread and wine. It's the real presence. Now the readings we have for the Mass today are the following. We have, as always on Sundays, we have three readings. And the first reading is taken from the book of Deuteronomy with Moses. And I'll just give you a summary of it. And you're going to see the parallel between the first reading and the gospel reading. Just a liturgical note. Every Sunday Mass, there are three readings. The first reading and the gospel reading have the similar theme. So the first reading taken from the book of Deuteronomy, we have Moses making reference to the manna in the desert. The Israelites freed from the bondage of the Egyptians. They were led through the Red Sea. And as the Egypt, the Israelites were traveling toward the promised land where milk and honey flows, traveling those many years through that desert, 
which is symbolic of our life. We're on pilgrimage, passing through the desert of this life to our eternal homeland, which is heaven. The people didn't have anything, the people did not have enough to eat. So, they complained to Moses, and Moses turned to to God, and God said that he would resolve the problem. So the following morning when they got up and they came out of their tents, they saw this with this light, this white frost, this white uh, doughy material, this white cake, white bread that was covering the ground. And they said, what is it? And that's actually what the word manna means. Manna means, what is it? So they were, they were summoned by Moses to gather enough for their family. So they were being nourished by this manna, this bread that fell from heaven. As they made, made their journey toward the promised land. Now, very interesting. To understand the totality of the Bible, which is the Word of God, it's incumbent upon us to have a an understanding of what is called biblical typology. You can even call it biblical symbolism. How a a type or a symbol refers later on to reality. And one of the key types or symbols in the Old Testament, I'll give you one. We have Eve, and Mary would be the second Eve. The crossing of the Red Sea is a type or symbol of crossing through the red blood of Christ to eternal salvation. The Ark of the Covenant points to Mary, who carried Christ within her. The Old Testament has many of these types or symbols, but the one pertinent to us today, the one that's pertinent to us today, is that a manna? The manna would be a type or would be a symbol of the reality of the real presence that Jesus would give us in the New Testament. So, that's the first reading. The focus is on the word manna. Second reading is very short, taken from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he says, the cup of blessing we bless, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one, we though many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. 
So in that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have St. Paul speaking about speaking about <coughs> the bread of life. And that takes us from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians to the Gospel for today. My friends, today, the Gospel for the Feast Day of Corpus Christi this year is taken from St. John chapter 6. My friends, I really believe that we have to get to know St. John chapter 6. St. John chapter 6 is very, very important. St. John chapter 6. Every <coughs> educated Catholic should should get to know St. John chapter 6, which is a very key chapter. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament, more than 70 verses. In the chapter of St. John, chapter 6 can be divided into three different three different parts the first part of john chapter 6 is jesus accomplishes a wonderful miracle the crowds are following christ the sun is going down. And the people will have to leave to go back to their homes. But they've got nothing to eat. So that the people do not faint as they return to their homes, Jesus decides that he will work a miracle. And what is the miracle that he'll work? He's going to be multiplying the loaves and the fish so that the people will not Faint on the way. So there we, there we have, my friends, this stupendous miracle with a few loaves and a few fish. Jesus works this miracle, having great compassion, having great compassion on the on the multitude. Now, 
That's the first miracle. That's the first miracle. The second miracle is this. Jesus ends up by walking on the water. So Jesus is preparing the people for the gospel for today. He's trying to dispose them, pointing out to them, pointing out to them that he is not only a man, but he is God. Because only God can work these stupendous miracles. Multiplying the loaves, walking on water. Now we arrive at the Gospel for today. And the Gospel for today, my friends, is it's called we have just a part of it. Just a part of it. And this is called, my friends, it's called the the bread of life Bread of Life Discourse. That's right. It's called the the Bread of Life Discourse. Now try to... I'll try to... to set up the scene. You might even try to do an Ignatian contemplation in the Bread of Life Discourse. Try to imagine you're present there. See the persons. Contemplate their gestures. Contemplate their words. And derive fruit from this. And of course have a colloquy which you're talking with the Lord about this wonderful happening. This is one of the most important discourses or or preachings of Jesus in the whole gospel itself. So Jesus arrives on Sabbath, which is the day of rest for the Jewish people. For us it's Sundays because the Lord rose from the dead on Sunday. And Jesus gets up and he and he delivers a most powerful message. A most powerful message. But we're going to see very sadly how few respond to that message. It goes on about 45 verses, but I'll try to give you a I'll try to give you a succinct summary. Try to give you a succinct summary. 
of this passage. Jesus says, referring to what happened with Moses in the desert. So you see a parallel between the gospel and the first reading taken from Deuteronomy. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. The words seem to be very clear to us. Jesus will repeat himself more than once. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Then referring to Moses and the experience with the man in the desert, Jesus will go on to say that Moses gave your forefathers the bread, the manna, in the desert. But they died. And then Jesus goes on to say, do not seek for the bread that perishes, but seek and pursue the bread that gives eternal life. And he goes to repeat once again, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body, drinks my blood, will have everlasting life. The food that I give is my flesh indeed. So Jesus repeats this message several times in this Bread of Life discourse. Now, what is, what is the reaction of the people? What is what is the reaction of the people? This is basically what they say with reference to the bread of life discourse. <coughs> they say that this 
<coughs> this is a very hard saying. Who can accept it? I'd like to repeat that. This is what they say. This is a very hard saying. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? Who can accept it? Now Jesus looks at them and these people who have been experiencing walking on the waters, they were fed by the miraculous multiplication of the loaves. They've seen these extraordinary miracles. Their reaction is simply unbelief. They believed in his physical miracle. They believed that he walked on water. Once he gets up and he gives this sublime discourse on the bread of life, they start to doubt. Who can accept this? And try to imagine you're present there with Jesus and his suffering. He sees the crowd that had followed him disappearing and melting away from his presence. This must have caused great sorrow to the heart of Christ. But Jesus did not say to them, come back. Come on back. He was not apologetic. Come on back. Come on back. I I was just speaking. I was just speaking symbolically. Did not say that. Come on back. Come on back. I was just speaking in a symbolic fashion. I didn't really mean it. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's never going to contradict himself. We contradict ourselves. We possibly fudge on the truth. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, as he watches the crowds melt away and disappear before his eyes, there he is. He's alone with the apostles. He's alone with the apostles. And basically, he's going to address the apostles, and what about you? What about you? Well, you'll leave me too. And Peter, 
the Prince of the Apostles, he raises his voice and he says, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe. We know that you have the words of eternal life. What a beautiful profession of St. Peter. Lord, we've come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. But John chapter 6 ends on this very somber note. Jesus says, Jesus says, Didn't I choose the twelve of you? Then he goes on to say, But one of you is a devil. Wow! Strong words. By saying one of you is a devil, Jesus was pointing out as sacred scripture points out the last verses in John chapter 6 when Jesus says one of you is a devil he's referring to Judas Judas Iscariot who would betray him. Very, very strong words. So the prediction of the betrayal of Judas Iscariot was related to the Eucharist. And I'd like to make this comment. My friends, we can't deny it. We cannot deny it that we're going through tough times. We cannot deny that. We're going through tough times. Difficult times. Which many people, are, many people since the pandemic and even before have drifted away from the church. Now, what, what, is the, what is the primary reason why people have drifted away from the church? Okay, there are many speculations or opinions. The most common reason why people would say that they leave the church is they say that there are a lot of scandals within the church and they'll say there's a lot of hypocrisy within the church. That those who are supposed to be leading the church have been responsible for scandal in one way or another. And I won't deny that. We as church members, we have failed. And many times. 
However, I would maintain, my friends, that the principal reason why the principal reason why people are drifting away from the church is John chapter 6, which we're commenting today. In this sense, John chapter 6. I say over the past 50 or 60 years, the catechesis The basic catechesis over the past... I found this on the web for the basic catechesis. Check it out. ...has been very weak. Even Siri agrees with me on this point. That over the past 60 years, the catechesis has been very weak across the board. And the catechesis has on the on, on many things, but especially on the on the sacraments, confession, and the Eucharist, has been very weak. And perhaps many people, once they did believe in the real presence, once they did, but they lost faith. As the young people say today, as the young people say today, if you don't use it, then you lose it. If you don't practice your faith, it's like lifting weights, lifting weights and building muscles. If you don't practice your faith, then you can easily lose your faith. So for us today, my friends, let's be eternally grateful that in our perseverance family, that you people believe. You believe in the great miracle. Remember the movie, El Gran Milagro. You believe in the great miracle. You truly believe that once the priest consecrates the host, it's truly transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, Elizabeth, Antonio, Sophie, Mary, Joe, all of you in our Perseverance family, I'll be praying for all of you. I'll place you on the altar in my Mass today that all of you will truly fall in love with Jesus Christ who is truly the bread of life. And I'd like to give you my priestly blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.